everyone. Welcome to the Bulletproof Hygiene Podcast, where mistakes are welcome, nothing is off limits, and growth is inevitable. I am Sharissa Wood. I'm Brittany Simon. And we are putting our brains together to bring you the tools you need to elevate your hygiene practice, build amazing team culture, and provide patients with the very best care. Our mission is to help empower and equip every hygienist to practice purposeful, profitable hygiene. We look to guide you on your journey towards career fulfillment by providing support, collaboration, and community to our profession. As two of the top producing hygienists in the country, we know firsthand that these things lead to sustainable and fulfilling practice and the happy side effect of high profitability. So let's get to it. Good morning, everyone, and welcome back for another episode of the Bulletproof Hygiene Podcast. We are especially honored today to have Dr. Jenny Perna with us, and we will officially introduce her, give her background in just a moment here. But today we're talking about a very relevant and important topic in dentistry and dental hygiene, and that is something that I think some of us are familiar with, some of us not so much, but I think we can all relate to, and it's called imposter syndrome. So imposter syndrome is essentially the fraudulent mindset that you're not good enough to show up exactly as you are. It usually occurs frequently in high achieving individuals who have an inability to internalize their accomplishments and a persistent fear of being exposed as a fraud. Um, As hygienists, we're familiar with the automatic negative thoughts, doubts, and fears that can hold us back. Some of the examples of these are, you know, they won't like me, the patient won't believe me, it's too expensive, I can't do this. I didn't get it the first time, so how can I learn? Or it's impossible for me to learn how to stand, for instance. When we operate from those thoughts, though, we come across as unsure, which can lead to lack of confidence, lack of enrollment, and lack of fulfillment in our practice. So I think that we can all empathize with the concept of, you know, fake it till you make it. And most of us have been in that position at one point or another in our lives. So honestly, I feel like I'm there every time we onboard a new product or technology. And I know that Sharissa can relate with that. She has shared that before. And for me, this phrase used to really get under my skin. It used to really annoy me because I was like, don't be fake. Um, You know, like, why are we, why are we being inauthentic here? But I have learned, you know, from my anecdotal personal experiences that sometimes our actions precede our thoughts. And when we're trying to change old old thought patterns and beliefs, sometimes I feel like we need to lead with doing, and then our thoughts can follow and evolve along with what we're doing. So for me, fake it till you make it means lead with your actions and your feelings often follow. And for instance, you know, show up better than you feel um, that you believe that you currently are or better than you think that you currently are. So a lot of times our mindset's just lagging, but it'll catch up eventually. So for Sharissa, I know that when she initially joined Atlanta Dental Spa, she was thinking to herself, you know, I'm not good enough to work here. And she she shared that really openly with us in the past. And, you know, clearly that's not the case. And her mindset kind of caught up with what was true, which is she was completely equipped, completely um, prepared. She was licensed, totally, totally qualified to be there. But I think a lot of times we get stuck in the thought of not being good enough, not being ready enough, not being perfect enough. And all of that is not real or attainable anyway. So we kind of get trapped up in those things. So I do want to read an excerpt from a book that I'm in the middle of right now. It's an excellent book by Oprah and Dr. Bruce Perry. And he is a psychiatrist and he specializes in trauma um, and childhood trauma. So this excerpt 
this excerpt I think is totally relevant to what we're talking about today. And it just talks about how sometimes we act before we think and why that is and how the brain development and structure kind of supports that kind of flow sometimes too. So that's why we, we sometimes get stuffed up. So in this passage, just as a little background, Dr. Perry was talking to a man who was experiencing PTSD. He had gone on a date with his then girlfriend and um, a motorcycle backfired and he had uh, basically like an emergency response or a stress response where he had a flashback and experienced a PTSD episode. He was experiencing like basically shell shock from Korea. He had been in the Korean War. And so that's the background on the story. So I'll go ahead and read this little excerpt. So he said, let's look at the basic organization of the brain. It's like a four-layered cake. At the top is the cortex, the most uniquely human part of our brain. I started labeling my drawing with different brain-mediated functions as in the illustration opposite. So there's an illustration here with at the bottom, there's the brain stem, then there's the diencephalon, then there's the limbic system, and there's the cortex. And as I did, I explained, the systems at the top are responsible for speech, language, thinking, and planning. Our, our values and beliefs are stored there. And very important for you, this is the part of the brain that can tell time. When the cortex is online and active, we can think about the past and look forward to the future. We know which things in our past are in our past and which things are present. Now look at the bottom of the brain, the brain stem. This part of the brain controls less complex, mostly regulatory functions like body temperature, regulation, breathing, <clears throat> heart rate, and so forth. But there are no networks at the bottom part that think or tell time. Sometimes we refer to this part of the brain as the reptilian brain. So think of what a lizard can do. They don't plan much or think. They mostly live in the moment and react. But we humans, thanks to the top part of our brain, the cortex, can invent, create, plan, and tell time. I looked at them to make sure they were tracking with me before continuing. So he's, he's talking about the, the guidance program. Input from all of our senses, vision, hearing, touch, smell, first comes into our brain in the lower areas. None of our sensory input goes directly to the cortex. Everything first connects to the lower parts of the brain. Once the signal comes into the brain stem, it's processed. Basically, the incoming signal is matched against previously stored experiences. In this case, the matching process connected the motorcycle backfire with gunfire. Remember the combat-related memory, he asked them? And since your brainstem can't tell time or know that many years have passed, it activates the stress response and you have a full-blown threat response. You feel and act as if you were under attack. Your brainstem can't say, hey, don't get so stirred up, Korea was 30 years ago. That sound was simply a motorcycle backfiring. I watched this sink in. Now when the signal finally gets up to the cortex, the cortex can figure out what's really going on. But one of the first things that happens when you activate the stress response is that the systems in the higher parts of the brain, including our ability to tell time, get shut down. So the information about the motorcycle backfire did ultimately get to the cortex, but it took a while. And until it did, you were back in Korea and then confused. <coughs> um, it said, your brain is doing exactly what you would expect it to do considering what you lived through. <coughs> but what was once adaptive have, has become maladaptive. And essentially, he summarized by saying all experience is processed from the bottom up, meaning to get to the top or smart part of the brain, we have to go through the lower not so smart part. This sequential processing means that the most primitive reactive parts of our brain is the first part to interpret and act on the information coming in from our senses. The bottom line is our brain is organized to act and feel before we think. And I think that that makes sense with our automatic negative thoughts and things that we've been replaying in our heads for years and years and years that we no longer question. It's just like background noise for us. 
So I think, you know, once again, going back to intentionality, we've got to be so, so intentional about changing old thought patterns and old um, behaviors even, you know, and sometimes I think the fake it till you make it thing is show up even when you don't feel like it and then feelings will follow and then you can form better habits from there. Yeah. I mean, and I, I definitely think that we, even if we maybe haven't put a, a phrase or a term to it, like imposter syndrome before, I think we can probably all resonate at this point with what this feels like. Mm-hmm. And I think as hygienists, it's very easy to, you know, we work under the purview of our doctors and our dentists. And so, you know, I know I felt this way for a long, long time that I was the only one feeling that way. Like I felt like, oh, my doctor knows all the things and, you know, he's running the show and he's got it all together. Like certainly I'm the only one that's feeling this way. Um, But, you know, we're going to reveal some secrets today that in fact, we are not the only ones in the practices feeling this way. And on that note, um, I want to say that we are so excited to get to spend our time today with Dr. Jenny Perna. Um, She's also known as the Yogi Dentist and she is practicing out of Austin, Texas. And Dr. Perna fell in love with dentistry when she realized that it was a beautiful blend of creativity and caring for others. And after doing her undergrad at University of Florida, she achieved her DMD degree from Nova Southeastern University and has been practicing for the last six years after completing a general practice residency in Asheville. Um, She spent a lot of time in continuing education on honing her craft and passion Um, She's gone through COIS, AIE, Advanced Implant Studies, and Impress Cosmetic Training, just to name a few. And she's also really passionate about health and wellness. She's an RYT 200 certified yoga instructor, thus her handle on Instagram, which is at yogi underscore dentist. Um, And we have had the personal pleasure of hearing Dr. Perna speak at the Bulletproof Summit Um, And what we really love about her is really her vulnerability, her honesty, and her willingness to share her journey to help others in the industry. And we had a really great conversation during cocktail hour, our first night, that made us say we have to have her on our show. Um, And really, we were standing there talking about imposter syndrome. And I just have to say that it is so refreshing to hear a dentist talk about this and help us gain some perspective that really, we really are all in the same boat. Um, But more importantly... Dr. Perna is here today to share her story on how she's overcome that mindset and share her tips on pushing forward. So welcome, Dr. Perna. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us today and share your story and passion with all of our listeners. Thank you guys so, so much for having me on. I so much enjoyed our conversation at the cocktail hour at the summit, and you ladies are just so awesome. And you guys create a space for hygienists to grow, to learn from you all, and you create a space of vulnerability as well. And I'm just so happy to talk to you guys today. And I have to say, wow, what an introduction. Like, can I get get that one always? (laughs) That was great. But yeah, thank you guys for having me. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your journey into dentistry. How did this all start for you? So funny enough, I hated the dentist as a kid. Uh, I was the kid who had a lot of cavities. My parents owned a skating rink, so I spent most of my time eating candy, uh, sneaking behind the snack bar and whatnot. Um, I even wrote a speech when I was, I think in like fifth grade, about how much I hated the dentist and I competed with it and I won like a regional competition. So like this, this hatred was deep, right? (laughs) 
Um, it's funny, my mom actually framed it for me for my uh, dental school graduation. So I have it framed, but- That is amazing. Uh, okay. I want to read that one day. You'll, you'll it's good, it's good. You know, I might post it on Instagram um, just for others to read that we can rise above all of our uh, preconceived notions. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but basically what happened is I grew up as like a performer. So I was dancing, I was singing, I was acting. And that was really my passion growing up. But I also enjoyed academics and I excelled in academics. So in my mind, if you asked me when I was younger, um, I wanted to be a performer on Broadway. Uh, but then I also wanted to like own a football team. Uh, that was also in wow. the, yeah. yeah. I, I haven't let go of that dream just yet. Uh, but <laughs> but um, I also enjoyed like studies and I really wanted to help people and be able to care for people. So when I first was thinking of college, I actually moved out to New York and went to NYU. Um, and that was to kind of pursue dancing. I was very big in dancing. Um, and then I decided that really wasn't the career that I wanted uh, long-term. It was a little too unstable for me, I think. I like stability. So I returned back to Florida and I started to think, okay, well, what do I wanna do? And for a long time, I was like, I'll just, you know, I'll be a doctor. Like, I'd love to be a physician, then I can help people. Um, but I didn't really know why. I didn't know what in medicine, like, even interested me other than like, oh, I'm a doctor. Mm -hmm. So I started to explore different medical professions. I actually took a course at the University of Florida. It was called Intro to Med Professions. And I was able to shadow physicians. And one of my it was like a friend of a friend knew a dentist in Gainesville and was like, well, why don't you go check them out and shadow and work for them? So I did. And I realized that dentistry is a unique space, I think, in healthcare where you're able to, yes, help people and lean on like your sciences and your studies that you love, but also to be really creative. And so I was able to have like my creative outlet via dentistry. So that's kind of what guided me into the profession a long way from fifth grade Jenny who despised the dentist to become <laughs> the thing that I hated the most, but in an effort to kind of like change the narrative so that kids don't write speeches in fifth grade about why they hate the dentist. Right. Well, that's amazing. That's yeah. really amazing to see kind of like how your, you know, beliefs about the dentist and everything that you thought you knew about the dentist completely morphed. Probably, you know, big thanks to that intro program. That sounds like a great resource, like like intro to medicine. Is that what it was called? Like you get yeah, an overview like, of the different like. Yeah. Yeah. It was a course. Like every, I mean, if I can think back, I believe what it was is like every there was it was like an online course, but then you went to shadow. So like okay. it was, it would just intro the professions and kind of talk about them. And so, I thought that was a very unique course absolutely I, I feel like that is so that would be so insightful for so many people and I also feel like we I relate to how you came into dentistry a lot too because I'm a I'm a, an artist like I paint and that sort of thing so like that's my like creativity and I didn't like the inconsistency and the lack of um you know stability basically in, in right. my art that's kind of like what motivated me to find a, a more stable quote-unquote career or something that was more predictable kind right. of and that's kind of what led me to consider dental hygiene but also someone came into my life and was like hey do you want to come shadow me so it was like you know the need for the stability and the need for the structure and the need for things with this creativity and like finding a way to like merge everything you know because I'm super super analytical but also creative and I'm you know 
detail oriented or like to have fun kind of thing. And I can sense the same in you or something similar in you. Yeah. I, I feel like you're like, you would be a creative person. I didn't know that you had a dance background, but that makes sense with the yoga. And, yeah. Yeah. Look at us connecting. No, I didn't know that about you either. And it, it makes sense. I think dentistry is a great career that kind of blends that. And one of my passions in dentistry is doing like makeovers and rehabs. And that's really, it blends like being able to help people, yeah. but I'm also creating, you know, yeah. and looking at patients and looking at their faces and seeing how I can, you know, create the smile that they're looking for. But even down to like a filling for a dentist, like it's arts and crafts in the mouth or right. sculpting, you yeah. know? <laughs> right. Recreating the anatomy. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing. Totally. Um, I love on your Instagram, by the way, when you film people during the reveal, yeah. like the reaction to the reveal, that is amazing. I think that more people could, should do that and could do that because really it just is the emotional aspect of everything that we do. You know, you can see kind of really the big picture impact that it has. Totally. It's funny totally. when I film those, basically what I, I, they know they're being filmed, obviously. Mm -hmm. And it's like, and you guys probably experience this too. Like when you get into like doing the dentistry, you're like, you get more analytical, mm -hmm. right? When you're mm -hmm. actually performing your skill. And then, so I'm going, okay, we're going to like reveal. And like, in my mind, I'm still very analytical because I just delivered a case, mm -hmm. right? Like I'm very on that. I'm like, okay, next step we film, we reveal. And then the reveals always catch me. Like, it's like a, like, oh my gosh, yes. Like, and then the emotion comes in of like, and this yeah. is why I do it. And yeah. this is a hundred percent why I do it. And it's just like the brain switches, but it's so like, it's so meaningful to see the change that it makes in patients in their confidence in their happiness. Mm -hmm. And we, you can kind of forget that when you get so analytical into it, but yeah, I appreciate that. It's one of my favorite things with the, you know, with the smiles and my favorite appointment is yes, definitely the reveal, but then I do a follow-up after and they've lived with their smile and then they can come back and report with it. And so it's a, it's really special. Aww, that is awesome. That is. So I got to ask, you know, we're talking about imposter syndrome. How far into the process did you get before you started to experience imposter syndrome? So I think... I think for a while I was probably experiencing it without putting the title on it, right? So I think back to growing up as a dancer and the way that we are trained and like I was a dancer, meaning if I wasn't at school, I was dancing. So I would be in the studio, like school's over. I'd be in the studio, maybe 5 p.m. to 10 p.m. every day. And then on Saturdays all day, like I was very much training and dancing the majority of my childhood from like four until 18. And so what that environment provides is like in dance, if you're not perfect, you're not right. Like there is a certain way that you have to do things mm -hmm. and you're staring at yourself in a mirror all day and you're comparing yourself to other people all day and you're competing for roles. It's not like, yes, when you're dancing, like you're in a team in a sense, like you have to perform together, right. but it's also always competition. So it's like, I have to be the best and I have to prove myself. So I think a lot of it kind of stems from that and insecurities can kind of stem from that too. But in regards to like an adult experiencing it, I think that the first time I really noticed it was dental school. So it was probably one of the first times that I at least noticed that I was surrounded by people that were either better than me or equally as qualified as me. Mm -hmm. 
you know? And so you can't help but look around and be like, should I be here? <laughs> you know? And, yeah. um, and there's competition in dental school as well. Everyone's trying to be at the top of the class. There's a lot of people trying to specialize. There's, you know, they call the people who try really hard the gunners. Mm -hmm. Like there's that whole like culture <laughs> in dental school. And you guys probably experienced it too in hygiene school. It's like, okay, I'm surrounded by people who enjoy what I do. Yeah. And this is kind of the first time that I've exclusively been with these people. Yeah. So I think Sorry. So, no, 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 no. Thank you for, for sharing that. I've, I've heard just in regards to the dance culture and community, I have a, a couple of really good friends who were professional dancers. They did ballet for many years and they traveled and their whole life, like you were saying, extracurricularly was dance. And just like the stringent, the stringencies and like the body expectations and like the perfection expectations, I feel like can really leave an impact on people you know they've shared with me how detrimental that can be on like your psyche and struggling with imposter syndrome and perfectionism and and kind of like transitioning out of that life into like the rest of the world and how what a change or a transition that can feel like you know and then yeah. yeah I think so for for me I'm like so I'm going back and getting my MBA and with Johns Hopkins and I've never gone to what I consider a quote-unquote a, a quote-unquote good school. My school was great. It was a state college, you know, so it wasn't fancy. No one's like, you know, I'm not, I wouldn't brag about the, where I went to school or anything. And I still won't. But when I first got in, I was like, do they know I went to community college? Like, why did they accept, do they know, why did they accept me? Like, why am I here with all these like smart people who are, I feel like more qualified, probably went to good, you know, quote unquote, again, good universities for undergrad and have just this different experience than I do, you know, feeling totally unqualified. So yeah, I think it's a lot of like getting trapped up in the comparison trap, you know, too, and always looking at like, do I belong here? And that social stigma and kind of like, where do I fit in the tribe and that sort of thing and just questioning ourselves, you know, it's, it's, and it's part of the experience of like knowing where we stand socially and what we, you know, where we fit in kind of thing. I think it's a normal process, but it can really, I think cripple us if we if we let it you know I think everyone has the potential to get get trapped there totally the quote like comparison is the thief of joy right uh -huh. but the yeah. second that you start it doesn't matter how wonderful and qualified you actually are when you start comparing to other people it's human nature to to want or need something when you don't have the whole story you know you could be saying that but you're completely qualified to be getting your MBA there and there's probably other people experiencing the same exact internal dialogue right. um, and comparing themselves to you. And it's just the, the nature of, of humans, I think, but it's an easy, easy trap to kind of fall into. Yeah. So once you got out of dental school, did that, that, did that end imposter syndrome for you or have you bumped into it again? So it definitely did not end. I think what kind of happened is that via dental school, what I realized was things take work. And you have to put your work in and you have to practice and you have to study and you have to study hard. And then, you know, there's no sugarcoating that dental school is a lot of time management. You have to study, you have to stay on top of your studies. Like for instance, like in undergrad, I was just the person who could literally study the night before. And then I got to dental school and I was like, oh, we, we can't do that anymore. We have to be on top of things. Mm -hmm. And so in dental school, I found my group, you know, I figured it out. I studied hard, I practiced a lot, and I felt very comfortable in there. So, you know, going into clinic and seeing patients, 
I think, you know, there's a safety net, you have your professors there. So if you're like doing a procedure for the first time, it, it's hard to feel like an imposter because you kind of are, you're like, I'm a student, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. I'm just a student, like I shouldn't know how to do this. So I didn't experience it probably for the second half of dental school, I felt fine. And to be honest, I think I graduated dental school with a little bit inflated uh, self, like sense of self and ego. And uh, I kind of felt victim to allowing my ego to lead uh, a lot. And I noticed it a lot, um, mainly probably my first year of practice. And when I moved to Austin, that's probably when I experienced imposter syndrome again. And it was the first time probably in my career where I was challenged with leadership. And it wasn't skills that I had worked on. And so being left to be like the leader in a practice was very difficult because I was figuring it out. I was trying to lead people and I was hitting a lot of resistance. And that basically just made me think, I'm terrible at this. I'm an imposter. I'm not good at this. How am I supposed to lead someone when I have no idea how to do that? And so it, you know, it comes and goes. I don't think it's like, a streamlined thing. Um, so it's definitely, dental school definitely wasn't the last time I saw it, but uh, I think now when I see it, I know how to like recognize it and, and try to at least move past it. Yeah, I was gonna ask, you know, as we grow and learn and develop, you know, we learn better tactics. So I that was one of my questions is, you know, how did you manage it at first, like in dental school versus how have you seen it morph over time to kind of change that the outcomes? Well, I think like, and also with like where it shows up a lot, there's a lot of opportunities that are presented um, recently for me. So it's another thing that it like brings up is that when new opportunities are presented, I think to myself, me, you want me? Like, are you... Mm -hmm what am I going to talk about? What am I going to say? Like, how am I going to show up for y'all? Mm -hmm. um, and so what I've done in dental school, and I've carried it on for like when imposter syndrome kind of arises is number one, I need to do the work. And that presents in, in multiple spots. So doing the work in terms of um, practicing. So if there's like a skill, like in dental school, like I, I didn't touch a handpiece and I was like, oh my gosh, she's got golden hands. You know, like I had to practice at it. So I practiced at it. When the leadership situation kind of came up, I practiced at leadership. I read books. I listened to podcasts. I tried to implement things. Some worked, some failed. Mm -hmm. I didn't get, I tried not to get down on myself when it failed. I just tried to like redirect and learn from it. And so I think that's something that really helps is being able to, A, recognize when it comes up, like, oh, I'm starting to self-sabotage do the work and be able to live in a vulnerable space too. learn how to do that and be vulnerable and be able to say, Hey guys, I'm figuring out this leadership stuff too. You know, mm -hmm. I want to be the best leader for you, but like, give me some grace as I figure this out. Right? Yeah. Right. I think that's great. And to communicate that on the front end, I think means a lot to people and strengthens relationships a lot. Just saying like, Hey, I'm aware that I'm not, very good, very competent. I'm definitely not perfect. I'll never be perfect at this, but bear with me while I learn. This just lets others know like, hey, I'm, I'm the, in a leadership position, but I'm right there with you. Like we're, 
we're all learning here. It's, you know, called practice for a reason type of thing. And I love that you mentioned, um, you know, I think that a big part of becoming more confident actually has to do a lot with competence. So actually being good at, and honing your craft and putting in time to train and be actually better, you know, just because if you need training, that's normal, you know, tra needing training and needing to learn and going through that process, I think is so normal. And sometimes I think that we can judge ourselves harshly and think that it's not and think that we should just know or we should just be able to jump in and be perfect at it or be great at it. But a lot of the ways that like I have, you know, increased my confidence in clinical practice or in anything in life is by actually learning, taking the time, investing time into becoming actually more competent. You know, that's a huge chunk of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I, there were two things that you said, Dr. Perna, that just really resonated with me. And I almost like have this visual in my mind of a seesaw and, you know, finding the balance in the middle of that seesaw in overcoming imposter syndrome is at one end of the seesaw you had where you talked about self-sabotage, mm -hmm. you know, where you go through that mindset of like, I'm not enough. I'm not, I'm, this is not, you know, I can't practice at this caliber. I don't know this, you know, what are, what's everybody thinking of me? Um, and at the other end being where you talked about, like, you kind of let your ego get in the way. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's, I think life in general is a very delicate balance of that seesaw of, of oscillating between thinking I'm not enough and thinking I'm too much and then trying to find that, that place in the middle. Yeah, I agree. I think that it is a beautiful balance. Um, I'm very strong on not allowing ego to overcloud our growth. I think a lot of people let that happen. And maybe it's because you know, we don't know what's going on in someone else's mind or our own minds, you know, that we're trying to battle the imposter syndrome. We're trying yeah. to say like, you know what? I am good. And it can come across, you know, in a, a multitude of different ways. And I think that when I was first faced with the challenge of being a leader, I said, okay, it was a, it was a tough group. I'm not going to like sugarcoat that. It was a tough group of people. Um, just because of resistance, essentially. Um, but I would take a lot of that on. So I was like, okay, let me be vulnerable. Let me try to be vulnerable. And then I kind of got like shut down by them. And so then I was like, screw it. We're not vulnerable anymore. <laughs> like, right. because I, you know, if you let, if you also let it in too much and it affects you, like it started to really affect me personally. And I look at pictures of myself from that time. And I look like a shell of myself and it bled into my personal relationships. So it is a balance. It's a balance of vulnerability and showing your insecurities and also not, you know, on the flip side, not being too egotistical. And really, I think what helps in those scenarios is like creating relationships and trusting relationships, like pertaining to leadership. And you would ask like what things that I've done as well and, and something just popped into my mind. I remind myself that everyone started somewhere, yeah. you know, like everyone, the people that you look up to and you idolize and you say, I'm never going to be them. You have to remember they weren't born the way that they are today. They've worked towards it. Right. And so that's something that I always try to rem remind myself of. Hey, Bulletproof Hygienists, it's Brittany and Sharissa, and we are thrilled to announce that it's finally here, our comprehensive online mastery course. If you're anything like us, you know that hygiene is more than just a job, it's more than just a paycheck, and it's a whole lot more than just cleaning teeth. It's our calling. 
If you're ready to take the deep dive, become a top 1% hygienist, and move from going through the motions to loving what you do every day, boosting treatment acceptance, taking communication and team building to the next level, this course is designed for you. Master all the tools you'll need to make our successes your own. Everything from mindset and culture, team organization and calibration, to individualized best practices and verbiage for success. It's all there. Earn five CEs while building your own bulletproof hygiene practice with our proven methodology. To find our course, go to bph.dental and click courses on the left-hand side for all the details. There's a delicate balance between pride and ego. Like, I think it's a very healthy thing to acknowledge what we're good at mm -hmm. and say, like, this is where I can continue to grow. And I think everywhere we can continue to grow. But I don't think there's anything wrong with what one of my mentors would call being your own best friend and acknowledging like where we actually have strengths and what we're actually good at and verbalizing that even in front of other people. Like, I think, you know, people can misinterpret that as like, oh, you're, you're egotistical or you're, you're this or that. And there's a lot of like social judgment. It's, and it's so funny in the age of like body positivity to me that like, you can't say anything negative about anyone without being, you know, shamed. But if you say something positive about yourself, you're also shamed and you're like a labeled, you know, as like a bad person or an egotistical person. So it's interesting. I think that that's something that the more people do and the more people are willing to ver like verbalize, I hope that the social like beliefs that we have actually change around that because I think it's long overdue. You know, like saying like, I'm actually good at this. This is actually my strength. You know what? This not so much. Can you teach me? Can you mentor me? Yeah. It's so true. I, I completely agree. It's interesting. Um, like via my Instagram, I have followings from people like I haven't met. Right. And so occasionally, you know, I'll get messages and it's funny that even like talking about this, I feel like badly for saying this, even though it is something that's really, it like, it touches my heart a lot is that people will say I'm an inspiration. I'm saying it's funny. Like I, I feel badly saying like people are saying I'm an inspiration, like mm -hmm. who am I to inspire? Right. right. But right whenever I get those messages, my initial thought is to say, nah, no, <laughs> you got the wrong girl, <laughs> you know? But then um, how, quick, how quick are you to jump automatically if someone says something negative though, to agree with that? Like yeah. it's almost automatic. It's like, oh, you're, you're actually not that good at yoga. Like you're like, oh, maybe I'm not that good at yoga, you know, but this, yeah. you know, it's such an interesting thing. It's such an interesting thing. It truly is. But I do, I agree with you. I hope the narrative changes. I hope that we can embrace our strengths and be able to communicate those without them other people saying oh look at her or him for bragging right. you know so I, I completely agree so what people may not realize is that there are actually five imposter types so when it comes to imposter syndrome there is the perfectionist which you know who says I should deliver a perfect performance hundred percent of the time my work must always be a plus um, then there's the soloist who believes I, who believes that um, true competence is equal to my own unassisted achievements. I must do everything myself. Then there's the expert who says, if I were really smart, I would already know everything I need to know to do this. There's the superwoman or superman who says, if I were really competent, I would be able to do it all and do it easily and well. And then there's the great mind who says, I judge myself on ease and speed. If I were really competent, it would come easily and quickly. And so I know that I relate the most to the perfectionist and I think also the superwoman. Um, and one of the most impactful and helpful, you know, things I hate, like, 
I actually dislike quotes and like cliche things and like they actually irk me like my my knee-jerk reaction is like I'm like Ugh, you know but then I'm like oh there's actually truth to that like I hate that it's actually right you know and one of the things that has really helped me in regards to perfectionism is just realizing that everyone is on a spectrum like really reading Carol Dweck's book about mindset and realizing that we all have the ability to learn and develop and grow an IQ that we were born with isn't what we're stuck with our whole life. You know, there is nature and nurture. We can, you know, continue growing our entire life. We can continue evolving. We don't have to be stuck with what we were given, you know, by our, by our genetics, basically. So progress, not perfection is something that I remember and have to repeat to myself every single day. Um, and, you know, another one is perfection and performance do not determine my worth. So just reminding myself that like, okay, my, how I function or how, how I show up at my job, how I perform is maybe a reflection of the state that I'm currently in and the fact that I'm, I'm learning and how much work I'm putting into learning what I need to, to learn to do my job well. But no matter where I am on that spectrum of growth, like it doesn't affect my value as a human, you know? And that, that was like a big mentality shift for me was just learning to be like, okay, I'm, we're, we're all in this together. Like let's head in the same direction. I'll ask for help when I need it. And that has helped my like, ego and pride issue too, to be like, yeah, I'm, I'm not perfect at this. Everyone needs help kind of thing. And also I think when we, you know, admit to others and we are vulnerable in this way and we are striving for progress and striving to learn, it becomes apparent that everyone else is like learning the same stuff, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think for me, if I'm being super honest, like I struggle a lot with almost all of them, maybe not the expert so much, but definitely the perfectionist. That's been a battle for me my whole life. Um, the soloist, I have a really hard time letting other people do things because I feel like I'm going to do them better. Or if I don't know that they're going to do them the right way, that's a struggle for me. That's been a great gift in having being, uh, practicing assisted hygiene and having an assistant because that's helped me kind of let go of that mm -hmm. and, you know, let somebody else help and do, um, and then the great mind for me is a big one because I just feel like I, if it takes me a while to learn something, I get frustrated with myself. Um, but it, at the same time, I realize that struggling with all of these, honestly, is exhausting. And so the older I get, the more comfortable I get with, you know, realizing like, I'm never going to be perfect. I'm never going to have it all. It's, it's okay if it takes me longer, somebody else is going to get it faster. And just kind of reminding myself of that. And and, you know, it, it's hard to, because we are dealing with, you know, patients all day long and there's patients that come in, you know, the first thing they say to you, it's like not even high. It's like, I hate being here. I hate, I hate seeing right. you guys. And it's like, oh, great, good. So, you know, you have those moments where you have those patients that are, you know, upset about what happened or complaining, or maybe they didn't like what, you know, how the appointment went that day. And, you know, when you struggle with that perfectionistic aspect, it can really kind of bring you down. So it's just always, you know, reminding yourself that, you know, I'm here to care for people. I'm here to serve them. I'm here to communicate the best I can. It's not always going to be great. It's not always going to be perfect. And that's going to be okay. So yeah, it's constantly the, struggle. Yeah, it's a constant struggle and like an ebb and a flow. And perfectionism, I think, is like another term that sometimes people use like in the wrong context like it's almost like a a badge of honor you know sometimes when people say like oh I'm a perfectionist but it really is something that stops us from progressing because it's essentially like crippling fear that I'm not perfect and, it, and it's like self-torture almost you know when you when you don't when you don't meet the perfection bar which we never do 
it's like that constant like thought of like, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough because I'm per not perfect and I can never be perfect, you know? So we're going to stay stuck in that, but it's definitely not like a, a humble brag or like a badge of honor um, to say you're a perfectionist. I think it is an actual legit problem that a lot of us are struggling with and need to work through. Where do you fall in on the types, Dr. Perna? Can I say all of them? <laughs> yeah, I feel ya. I, um, you know, I, I'm joking, but I do feel like I can resonate with all of the categories, mm -hmm. but mainly I would say the perfectionist. I don't think it's a coincidence that everyone here talking that's involved in the dental profession struggles with that. Mm -hmm. um, you brought up a really good point, Sharissa, about patients. You know, we are expected to be healthcare providers. That is what we do for people. We take care of other people. That is a big responsibility. And that's a lot of trust that other people are putting on us. And it makes you want to be 100%, 100% of the time, which we need to be, uh, but we are also human. So we have to remember that. And I think, you know, especially if a patient walks in, we've all heard it, like you said, I don't want to be here, or I hear, I hate the dentist, and then it's a, I don't hate you, and I'm like, well, of course you don't hate me, we just met, but, you know, it just sets the tone of, like, well, now I have something to prove. Mm -hmm. I have to change their mind, and it is up to me to be perfect to change their mind, and I would be lying if I didn't say, like I said, I love doing smile makeovers. I have dreams where patients teeth deteriorate patients that I've worked on they're vivid in my mind and it's not maybe their teeth maybe it's their temporaries it's something it's it's always there of like taking care of other people and needing to be perfect for them and I think the second one if I had to pick one is probably the soloist as well um I it's funny when I was in residency my director was like you really like delegating and I do because I like efficiency I'm huge on efficiency however if I delegate and you don't necessarily live up to what I expected, mm -hmm. I'll just do it myself. Yeah. You know, like I'll just go back and do it. And so um, I think those are probably the main two, but everything creeps in, in different like circumstances for sure. Yeah, there's definitely risk to delegation too. Like that's the thing. It's like, you have to count on someone else and trust that they're gonna follow through. And I think that's one of the most difficult parts of leadership. It's like learning what to delegate and to who and how and how to have check backs and how much you have to circle back and check in and you know how, what kind of checks and balances you have to have in order to make sure that something happens you know so i think that probably the antidote to being a soloist is learning the art of delegation totally yeah. totally you can't delegate everything but right. uh, you yeah. need to be able to and not think like I'll just do it myself because the truth is you'll get burnt out and you're not able to do everything yourself and you're not going to be the perfect person for every scenario and that's okay. Right. And also, you know, accepting, you know, to, to Sharice's point a couple of minutes ago, just when, you know, patients aren't, aren't happy or we haven't met their expectations or exceeded their expectations, accepting that sometimes, you know, we can do what we can do. All we can do is all we can do, you know, doing our best for the patient. You know, if we really drop the ball, apologizing and taking responsibility without internalizing that, I think is, is like the key to being okay with that. And also realizing that some patients might choose a different provider or even a different practice and click with them more and not letting that affect our self-esteem and not taking it personally is important too, because there's a percentage of people in the room who are going to 
love us and gravitate toward us, you know, and then there's the percentage that's going to actually dislike us actively. And then there's that percentage in the middle that's going to make up their mind as they're getting to know us kind of thing, you know. Um, but I think just letting go of what other people think and their expectations and just doing all we can do and leaving the rest of the universe has also been really helpful for me. Just saying like, all right, I, have I done everything? Have I exhausted all my resources? The answer is yes. Okay, that's, that's what it is. It's funny that you bring that up because I think some of the work that I've done just in my personal life is understanding I'm not everyone's cup of tea mm -hmm. and that's okay. But yeah. when it comes to patients, I want to be everyone's cup of tea. Like mm -hmm. I want to be the provider for everyone. And if you, you know, if you had a bad experience with the office or whatever, like it, it does hit personally, but you're right. We're not going to be the provider for every single patient because their needs may, you know, outshoot our coverage. Right. Well, right. And, and honestly too, like, yes, we do want to be able to take care of everyone, but at the same time, like, let's be super honest. Do we want everyone to be our patients? Like right. I, you know, no names here, but I had a very strange new patient came in yesterday and all of us were kind of looking at each other like, uh, this is not a good fit. So, I mean, in reality, you know, we want, we mentally want to be there for everybody, but if we're being honest, we, we don't really want to see everybody. And so that's okay. It's okay that we have different needs and, and different uh, personalities and, and we may, may not all be the best fit both directions. Yeah, completely. Yeah. Completely. So I know that overcoming imposter syndrome has a lot to do with just kind of acknowledging our own negative thoughts and really kind of gaining an awareness of our own inner dialogue. So what does that look like? How have you done that personally when you've bumped up against these things? So I think what I first do is that I consider myself an emotional person. So it's not uncommon for me to be hit with a scenario. And my first reaction is an emotion, whether or not you see the emotion mm -hmm. is one thing, but like internally it's an emotion. And so what I've learned to do, and it's taken a lot of work. Um, but what I've learned to do is like you said, first is acknowledge it, that it's starting to come up, that I don't feel good enough that I shouldn't be here, like that negative thought is starting to come up or Brittany, what you were talking about, like body image, that is something that's big in my life because of my dance background mm -hmm. of just checking with myself and saying, no, 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 we're not doing this. And then I kind of have a pep talk with myself and I literally third person, Jenny, pause, breathe, take a breath and don't let this overcome you. You know, like if it's in the middle of the day, let's say like there's a, a negative thought that comes up. It's like, I put it in a little bank and we're going to deal with this later because mm -hmm. we don't have time to deal with it now because we're on stage and we're here to treat patients. We're here to be a leader for the team and we need to think about it later and digest it and, and figure out steps to overcome this feeling. Right. And it does need to be thought about later. Yes. So I think that that's a skill. Like what you just described is such an artful skill because it's acknowledging the emotion. And like, you know, in the excerpt that I read from Oprah and Bruce Perry's book, it was talking about how we feel and act before we consciously think. And I think that that's why the pause is so powerful, like just pausing, but be, being able to like kind of in a healthy sense, compartmentalize, like, okay, I'm at work right now. I have to emotionally set this aside, get my tasks done for the day, but then you have to circle back because if the circling back doesn't happen, that's what leads to like depression, anxiety, even like resentments. If it's an upset with someone else, like it'll lead to resentment with the other person. And then it's crippling, you know? So I think it's healthy to be able to do that, continue functioning and fulfilling your obligations for the day, but then making sure that you circle back. So 
what does that look like when you do circle back? Like, when does that happen? It's probably, you know, I'm guessing it's at home or on your own personal time, but what, what does that process look like for you? Well, it's definitely something that I'm constantly still working on because if it's mm -hmm. something that's like big that came up, it's always there right yeah. in the back of my mind throughout the day. So like being able to push through that and continue the work and not allow it to affect me throughout the day, is just, it's going to be the work for the rest of my life. It's going to get easier, but it's just mm -hmm. like who I am because mm -hmm. I can fester. It's natural for me to fester over things, but what I've learned to do is put, put it behind me for the time being. And then usually like that evening, I'll start just thinking about it. Okay. What happened? And I get very analytical about it because mm -hmm. if I don't get analytical, then it's all emotional and it's all like, woe is me. I'm terrible. Look at me. Like mm -hmm. I'm, I didn't lead that person very well. And now they hate me and da, 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 you know, mm -hmm. so I'll go home and I'll just be like, okay, what happened? What was their part in it? What was my part in it? how could we do better, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking of like a, a particular circumstance where I have a, an amazing um, assistant right now, but she's newer and she gets like frustrated and I'm trying to lead her. And it's just, you know, not to go into too much detail, but like, it was a, it was good for me to do that. I went home, I thought about it. What did she do? Why is she frustrated? Why am I frustrated? How can we do better on this? And then I have a conversation with her that's honest, it's vulnerable, it's saying, I want to have this good relationship with you, let's move past this and let's get like strategic things put on the table to help both of us. Mm -hmm. And so I think that if you can become more analytical on these things and be able to dissect it without getting too hard on yourself, right. I think that's where the success lies in overcoming this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yes, and healthy detachment, I think. Yeah. And I think it's exactly like you said, Brittany, the, the excerpt that you read, I mean, that makes total sense and why the breath and the pause is so important because you're going to have that initial response, like that yeah. initial feeling, but it's taking the breath and the time to really process it through the cortex part of the brain. And, and, you know, that kind of filters the emotion aspect and just looks at the facts aspect so that you can really work it out. I think that's beautiful. That's yeah. And I want to, I want to point something out in this because I've seen this in my own life. And that is that when we are emotionally, when we're feeling something intensely, we feel very motivated to do something about it then. But what I like that you said, Dr. Jenny, is that you, you know, got analytical about it because I feel like when most people, when the emotions aren't as strong, that's when we tend to sweep something under the rug. Mm -hmm. I guess when we're like, oh, I guess it's not that big of a deal, but it is, it's an, it's an issue. It happened just because the feelings aren't as intense doesn't mean that it doesn't need to be faced or dealt with. You know, I feel like that's, that's the time to deal with it. It's not, it's you don't lose the motivation basically to deal with the problem because you're not feeling the strong feelings anymore. Totally. Totally. And if you are feeling the strong emotions, that's not when you send the email, right. that's not yeah, when you totally. the call. And yeah. I have to check myself time with that because I'll be like, okay, we're going to handle this right now. And then I'm like, you're too emotional, calm mm -hmm. down, be analytical. And then you can get to a better solution for this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I know we, we are admire you so much because you have made a lot of personal investment in yourself, both personally and professionally, which is just amazing. Um, and we know that doing that, you know, builds the confidence, builds the experience, um, you know, creates the growth. And so what in your life, what has been the catalyst for you for taking those steps? And what, what was that? What did that look like? What did that yield for you when it, in, in, in relation to imposter syndrome? Yeah, totally. I think, um, 
you know, I think graduating dental school and like talking on a skills standpoint, you do learn great skills to bring into practice. And then I did a residency, which made me feel comfortable doing, you know, my residency was ran more like a private practice. So we had like a hygiene department and we had our patient pool and we ran a full day and we had little, you know, checks with our attendings. And so it made me more confident to go into private practice. So as like a skill level, I've always felt fairly confident in my skills. But then I think what happens graduating, at least from my experience and from like colleagues that I've spoken with, is dentistry can be an insanely rewarding profession. However, you have to take ownership of that reward. You can't, I don't think you can go into dentistry and be like, all right, that's it, I'm a dentist. Like, it, there's so much more out there that you have to learn and you have to grow within the profession. And so, for me, I think that what I, there was a point within my career, that I looked and I said, okay, I'm comfortable in the day in, day out. I can do what I can do, um, but I wanna be more. I wanna be the best dentist I can possibly ever be. And that comes with continually investing in yourself. And it is, it's a big investment. Like we're not gonna sugarcoat that. The mm -hmm. CE courses that are the good CE courses that you wanna go and do, so that you can better serve your patients and have a better understanding of dentistry in our profession, it's going to be an investment. But I decided that I needed to invest in myself because it would bring the reward of dentistry like so much sooner for me. Um, and it was rewarding. I don't want to, I don't want to downplay that. Like dentistry has always been rewarding for me, but I wanted that reward to continue to grow. So the more that like for me, dentistry is so important to taking care of people. And if I can advance myself and become more confident as a practitioner with everything that my profession entails, then I'm going to be the best version of myself. I'm going to be the best provider for my patients. And from all that comes the reward. Um, you mentioned like investing personally as well. And I think that's really important and that's going to look different for everyone. But I think, again, the best investment is in yourself, whether it's clinical skill or working on your mental health and like working on being mentally sound so that you can be there for your team and your patients and your family and your friends and your partners. And I think that's such an important thing. And more and more people are talking about it. I mean, like last week with Simone Biles was a huge thing, um, you know, regardless with anyone's opinion of her dropping out, but the fact that she brought mental health to the table is just so important when you have high stress uh, responsibilities, like being a gymnast, going to the Olympics, being a dentist, being a hygienist, mm -hmm. like we have high stress um, responsibilities. And so I think honing in on that, whether it's therapy or meditation or a life coach or yoga or whatever that looks like to you, I think is equally as important. So I just want to acknowledge that I've been living under a rock and I have no idea what Simone Biles did. So can someone, <laughs> can you catch me up? What happened? What, what happened in the news? <laughs> So basically what happened is that uh, she was on the um, gymnastics teams, obviously mm -hmm. she's like the best gymnast of all time. Yeah. I love the Olympics. So <laughs> I'll, I'll be your resource for that. So she, um, to kind of sum it up, basically what happens sometimes for gymnasts is they get a condition called the twisties where they're flipping and their body and their mind disconnect mm -hmm. and they don't know where they are in space. And that can be really, really dangerous. Got it. 
And according to her, it usually, you know, and other gymnasts that have commented on it, it usually happens like when you're highly, highly stressed and like your mental health is suffering. It's just like this disconnect. And so Simone Biles dropped out of the team and some individual events and the initial, and they quoted it as like, at first, like an injury and then mental health. And then of course, there's a debate of whether or not she should have or she shouldn't have. But basically throughout the week, she was just saying like, this is, was life threatening. Like Mm -hmm. she went out and performed a vault and she did like one less flip and a bunch of gymnasts were commenting. If it was any other gymnast, maybe they would have landed on their head and probably been paralyzed. So like, it was just, it was her standing up for herself because of her mental health. And I think with that too, it's funny, I was on a plane and I was actually watching a documentary that Michael Phelps kind of narrated, but it was about um, Olympic, like mm-hmm. Olympians and the mental health of it. And so it's just a topic that I think is being brought up more and more that we have to pay attention to our mental health. Mm-hmm. And it's just important as our physical health. It's just important as running that mile, you know? Yeah. Wow. That's inspiring. Yes. Very. Amazing that she did that and good for her. Yeah. And then she competed at the end of the week on beam and got a bronze medal. So great. (laughs) Yeah. She, she overcame it. She focused on herself and I think she gave a voice to a lot of Olympians. Yeah. It's a, I mean, it's a tough call to make even when you're not performing at that level, you know, like to drop out or say no to something that people are counting on you for, you know, not out of your responsibility, but out of being responsible for yourself. You know, that's a really hard decision to make when you know that you're essentially going to disappoint people, you know? Right. And I mean, how brave with the whole world watching? Like, I just yeah, think it's, right. it's amazing. Yeah. I totally agree. I've, I mean, I've always looked up to her. In a different life, I was a gymnast. So <laughs> I always wanted to do it when I was little. Like, I'm happy I guess I didn't because they always are facing injury and I and a lot of mental, mental illness problems. But um, it just seems uh, very awesome that she stood up for that. Yeah. So clearly we know because you've mentioned several times um, that you are super, super invested in taking care of your patients, but you've done a lot of community care too. Um, I know you've been involved in multiple mission trips and community outreach. Um, And the reason we're bringing this up is because number one, we admire you um, and your dedication, but number two, um, we're so invested in trying to help the dental community find fulfillment which means that we've got to realize that our gifts and talents are so much bigger than just us. So how did you embrace the concept in order to fulfill your true purpose and step into who you were meant to be as a dentist? Well, I think you bring up a great point of, and I've said it already on this podcast and I'll say it again, at the root of everything, I truly just care about people. Like that is why I do what I do. And if I could um, and didn't have student loans pay off, um, I would love to give my talents as much as I can. And that's something that I recognize more and more as I meet people who don't have the financial means to have dentistry done. And I know that I possess a skill that, yes, I have invested immensely for that skill via dental school and continuing education, but now I own a skill that I forever will have, and it can impact people. And I just think it's a huge responsibility to take care of other people's needs. Um, day in, day out, I, you know, I work in a, an office where um, we're not giving away free dentistry at all, but it's something that I've always, when I was younger too, I always had a dream of like starting a charity. And I think more and more 
this concept is kind of making more sense to me that I would love to start mission trips on my own. Mm -hmm. Um, I was telling you guys before we started recording, I was just in Croatia for a vacation and I met a tour guide, um, in a small little town that doesn't have, I don't think they have access to dental care. And he had blaring dental conditions, like looking at me and, the only thing I could think of is like, I want to help this person. And I have a skill that can help this person. So it's something that's always ongoing in my mind of how we can give back to our community, how we can help. And I find the most fulfillment of when you help out patients without like a monetary reward. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about um, some of your biggest accomplishments. And of course, we know you're totally brag worthy. Um, but we're specifically asking this because we know that one way to escape imposter syndrome is to reflect back on when you've shown up and it actually made a difference. So tell us what you've seen on, on the accomplishment front when it comes to the, that. It's so funny that this question is the hardest, right? <laughs> like, it's like, what, what are my accomplishments? Okay, well, let's think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, outwardly, when I reflect on everything, I think that it's a huge accomplishment that I'm able to care for my patients in the way that I do. Um, I get a lot of fulfillment from that. And I think that I'm a very comprehensive, well-rounded dentist, both from my knowledge and my skill. And I think that's something that is okay to say. Like I treat my patients very well. I treat them ethically. I can perform higher end procedures for them so that they can get everything need from me. And I think that's a huge thing to say. Um, I also think I will forever, ever, ever be honored um, when I'm asked to like, or I'm acknowledged in this profession. So like I'm asked to be on your podcast. I'm asked to be on the bulletproof stage at the summit, you know, like people asking me to share my experience. And I think that's a huge accomplishment because it's just saying like, regardless of why you want me, maybe it's because I'm vulnerable. Maybe it's because you like my yoga poses because I teach yoga at like conferences. It's still saying like, there's something that I can share. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really, really special. Um, But I think a lot of my accomplishments too are internal. So it's the work that I've put in. It's the fact that the Jenny that is today is not the Jenny that was last year. It's not the Jenny that was in dental school. It's not the Jenny who's standing in front of the mirror in dance class ashamed of her body. Like it's a different Jenny who has learned how to be more compassionate, to um, work past insecurities, not to silence them, but to work through them, to rise above, um, to not blame myself for other toxic people, um, and to then like face scary things head on and say, this scares me, let's do it anyway. And I think those are some of the biggest accomplishments that I can only feel because they're internal and the rest of the world may not see, but I think those are kind of my biggest things. Well, and I think those are the most important things, the ones that you know in your head, because that's a solid ground for you because the world is, is always going to have opinions, positive and negative. Um, You know, and I think it's really what's internally that, you know, because only, you know, the battles you went through to get to those things, Um, the feelings you process, you know, the, the, the health that you gain through that. So I think it really has to be those internal accomplishments that, that carry you through, that anchor you. I, I completely agree. I think um, when reflecting, yes, all like, you know, accolades are nice when people say, 
I love my smile or you're asked to be on things like that's all that like that pats your ego a little bit right mm -hmm. like that feels good mm -hmm. but what feels really good is knowing that no matter other people's opinions or perspective or whatever that you have that solid ground that you're talking about that you are confident in yourself and that you know that you may not be perfect at everything ever right. or at once or right away but that you know as a person that you're willing to put in the work to get where you need to be yeah. to be self-fulfilled. Yeah. So so I think sometimes it's interesting to hear what people perceive they have accomplished because like I want to share with you just some things that I see about you and it's going to make you really uncomfortable. Like I can already see it on your face, but too bad. Um, <laughs> and that is that, you know, you have, you're a very consistent and committed person like I can just tell by looking at your Instagram as funny as that sounds like it takes commitment and consistency to post and continue responding to people and I know personally because of running Instagrams and trying to connect with people on a real level and grow your following and grow your influence and all it takes a lot of work behind the scenes and a commitment to showing up and doing that you know consistently and then another thing that I see is you're incredibly emotionally intelligent like very, very emotionally intelligent, very, very self-aware. So I think that you should like consider those things too and maybe add it to the list and also consider internalizing them. I appreciate that. I do. It's funny, right? Because yeah. as you're saying it, I'm like, yeah, I guess I am pretty consistent. Like, yeah. You know, yeah. like, oh yeah. yeah. Like I, I've really tried to be emotionally intelligent for myself and, and my team and, and like my patients and everything and just be mm -hmm. self-aware. And I really appreciate you saying that, but sometimes it takes other people giving an outside perspective mm -hmm. for you to like go, okay, you know for what? Sure. I can say that. For sure. And I think sometimes we take our strengths for granted like it's the thing about, you know, like, oh, why are they inviting me? Like these things aren't, aren't skills um, that everyone has honed or that everyone possesses. And so they are unique things. And like everything, you know, that makes up you, you being your own self is like good enough. You can show up just like that. And people want like Dr. Jenny, you know, to show yeah. up like for being uniquely you, for bringing your own strengths that you might not realize you have. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. And I think it's funny as like, we're talking, I'm like trying to think of like, okay, what else am I proud of? Yeah. But I laugh too. I, I, um, I used to get in trouble all the time for like talking, like in school all the time. All I did was talk. Jenny talks all the time. She's saying happy birthday to herself on her first birthday. <laughs> that was my thing. Like, I will not stop talking. And I think it's a strength that actually has helped me throughout life of just like growing and talking to people and being able to like get feedback and and whatnot. And I think yeah. that's something else too, is like hearing people's feedback. Yeah. Like, and that is a strength. That is something that, you know, Dr. Bolden and I connect on because he's not naturally like loquacious and like, you know, social and whatever. I'm not naturally like a gifted speaker. Like it's something that I've had to really work at and like develop. So you having that natural kind of tendency or capability is like a skill. That is something you should be proud of. Well, I'll tell you this. I, no, I would have never known that you weren't naturally good at it. Oh my gosh. I'll tell you, I'll have to tell you this story some other time. Okay. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah. So we're talking a lot about self-doubt. Um, and you know, we know this, but the reality is this is all of us as humans. Um, I have the pleasure of getting to mentor, uh, teenage girls and, so I've been with them since sixth grade. They're juniors this year. I get to look into their eyes every week and see a lot of self-doubt and insecurity and uncertainty. So we spend a lot of time talking about this. Um, and so I want to just talk about some things that we can do just for conquering self-doubt. 
Um, because, you know, doubting yourself is uncomfortable and it's a very negative feeling. And so I feel like we as humans tend to try to shy away from what feels uncomfortable or negative. Mm-hmm. Um, and we know we talked, you know, a little while ago that it's really important that we don't sweep those feelings under the rug. Um, but we don't want to be paralyzed by the feeling or avoid it altogether because you've got to process that. So instead we want to talk about just embracing it and learning who you are in the moment and what you're capable of. And um, Lisa Turkhurst is an author. I've read several of her books and she says that feelings are indicators, not dictators. Mm -hmm. And I love that phrase. And I, I think about that often, um, you know, feelings will lead us if we'll do it appropriately to healthy change and growth when we pay attention to them, but they're not dictators. We don't have to go down the path they're trying to take us down. You know, that's, that's that initial, like, like Brittany said that, you know, the spinal cord part of us, that's like, oh, I feel this way. I got to do this instead of processing and going, you know, I feel this way. Like I can be sad and unsure and, and still be okay and functional. Like it's really important. And, you know, that's been a big hurdle for me in life. I grew up Um, not really allowing myself a lot of feelings and feeling like I had it all together and having some big walls up to make it all look like it was okay. And I mean, it's, it's been later in adulthood when I've really processed like, oh my gosh, I feel this way and sitting in that and actually letting myself feel it is a really big part of overcoming that. Right. And one of, one of the things that I see and have experienced myself is like, we tend, and I think this is a social cultural developmental thing as well. Like we develop feelings and I'm sorry, we develop beliefs around feelings so like we are told as kids like happy is good you know smile why do you have that frown on your face you know like expressing feelings other than happiness isn't acceptable and that's communicated to us on a regular basis I think in childhood and growing up and just by our our community our culture and I think that it's because a lot of people are really um uncomfortable experiencing their own feelings. So when we're stimulating them or when we're expressing anything other than happy, they're feeling uncomfortable. So they're trying to fix it. But, you know, I was, I was listening to a podcast by Jay Shetty yesterday and he was talking about fear and how some fear is not motivating. And he was kind of like talking about the fear of like dying of, in, of inevitable things. And then the fear that is empowering, like I'm afraid that snake's going to bite me. So I'm going to move away and not die like self-preservation type of fear. But the fear motivates you in that instance to take powerful, intentional action that can make your life better. You know, so I think that like you just said, you know, the one of the most important life lessons that I've learned in adulthood that I definitely did not learn growing up is that all feelings are meant to be felt as Glennon Doyle likes to say. Um, And all feelings are for feelings is what she says. And I think that when we come to a place where we can accept our feelings without judging them and shaming ourselves for feeling anything other than happy, they become less scary and crippling. You know, I, Dr. Craig likes to say all the time, you know, people have breakdowns before breakthroughs. And that's definitely true for me. Like I have meltdowns, but I have this like awareness now that even when I'm in the middle of like a full on emotional meltdown or something is going terribly and I don't know like the way out, I have this like firm belief and knowledge that there is the other side and I'm going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Life's going to go on. We're going to figure it out kind of thing, you know? So I think it's healthy to have that awareness and kind of like detachment and not judge ourselves for what we're feeling and not judge feelings themselves because they're all normal. They're all, they're all normal. I think that, you know, along with that, there are some feelings that can be crippling that are important to acknowledge like shame, you know, I am bad. I am not good enough, like crippling, clearly not a helpful emotion. And I think that that's when maybe we could 
bring therapy into the mix or do something, you know, for our mental health to kind of like overcome some of those automatic negative thoughts or things that were rooted in our childhood or, or just there constantly, you know, but for the most part, you know, feelings are, feelings are healthy. They're, they're all normal. I think you bring up a really great point that we have, like, it's something that I probably have was grew up a little differently that like feelings were just a thing like that was just you know we um I felt all the things and I was like encouraged to lean into my emotion so I've actually had to be on the flip side of knowing when to like put that emotion on pause but I do give myself a, a space to feel I don't necessarily do it when I'm in the office but like at home like it's okay like if I need to cry something out I need to get that emotion out feel the feel so we can move past it mm-hmm. so we can strategize past it um but I completely agree there's nothing wrong in feeling anything other than happy and I don't think that we can take that on and get down on ourselves if we are feeling anything but happy but there are emotions that we have to push back mm-hmm. like push through I mean like through, yeah, shame yeah. I'm not good enough like self-doubt like mm-hmm. feeling really really hard on ourselves mm-hmm. so I, I completely agree in that sentiment Yeah, I think another way that we can push past imposter syndrome is just we can gain confidence and we do that when we leverage our strengths. And I feel like a lot of us in life have spent a lot of time trying to manage and improve the weaknesses, which I don't think is a problem. Like I think that that there's there's definitely health and growth in doing that. But I think we are all wired different ways with different strengths so that we can all fit together and make it all work. Like we're never going to be good at everything. We can't know everything. We can't do everything. Um, you know, that, that's not a possibility. So I think just acknowledging that we're all wired very differently with different gifts and talents and recognizing that you have, you do have limitations. And so you put your strengths to use for you and those around you. And I know we talked earlier about like the soloist concept of like not wanting to delegate things or, you know, are they going to do it? Like I do it. Like sometimes I feel like we, when we don't do that, we rob the other person of the gift that they might have, like they might have a strength in that. So I think the healthy way to process that is look at like, Hey, what am I really good at? What am I passionate about? What, how am I wired? And then those things that I'm not so great at, like who around me is wired for those things? And like, how do I delegate that to them so that this can really be the most beautiful blend, especially when we're thinking about a dental team, you know, we've got so many members in the office, everyone's wired differently. How do we use everybody's strengths to make that just this beautiful balance where we really are serving people the best we can? Yeah, if, if our come from is to make the big picture work and do the best for our patients and our team and our practice, then it has to be that, you know, it has to be like, lose my ego, get other people involved, you know, use everyone's strengths because that's what's going to make the team the best that it can be in the practice, the best that it can be and deliver the highest level of service and treatment to our patients. You know, it, it, like you said, we're, no one is good at everything. Yeah. And I'm, I'm looking at my teenage girls in our, in our small group, and we had a really interesting conversation uh, a couple months ago. They're all very driven, very driven. I have a lot of athletes. I have a lot of really academic students that are, are really, you know, they want to be, you know, valedictorian, and they're all really driven. And there's this just underlying, and maybe, maybe not even so underlying, it's pretty prevalent, anxiety across the board. Mm-hmm. And we had this really honest conversation. And, you know, I was just asking them, like, well, if you could have all that you want, what would that look like? And everybody went around and shared. And at the end, I said, 
you know, guys, it sounds to me like you're all trying to be the best. And they're like all nodding their heads. And I was like, but the reality is you're never going to be the best. There's always someone that's going to be stronger, faster, smarter. Like there's always going to be somebody else, you know, prettier, wearing the, the better clothes. You know, we're talking teen girls here. So mm-hmm. talking about all of that. And I'm like, what if instead of trying to be the best, you were just your best. And I think that's really what we all need to do. Like we are wired to be a certain way, like be that version, be who you're wired to be the best you can be. And that's really all you can do. And I think when we're operating out of that, that's when we feel fulfillment. That's when we feel the joy. That's when we're really connecting well with others. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it comes and like what you guys are saying. Well, first of all, I think it's absolutely incredible what you're doing with teenage girls. You know, I can only speak from someone who was a teenage girl at one point. And I think it's a really hard space to be in uh, with societal pressures and just pressures that you put on yourself. And the more that you can find fulfillment and happiness with what you have inside, the happier your life is going to be because then you're not looking for external validation. You're looking right inside and be like, okay, well, that person didn't like my outfit today. Okay. I did, (laughs) you know, like, As, as superficial as that, you know, but I think that's wonderful. And to give that message to younger people as well and have them thinking in that mindset of that growth and that internal growth is just so special. Well, and what's crazy is I keep telling them, I'm like, ladies, I got to tell you, this isn't just a teenage high school thing. This is life. We all struggle with this. Yeah. I remember thinking as a teenager, like, when will I grow out of thinking this way? when will I grow out of this problem? You know, when will I not struggle with this anymore? Like, it's just this rude awakening, like, oh, they're never, that's when. Never. (laughs) That's when we lean on each other and just say, hey, how are you dealing with this? And and we learn and grow. So I think um, just kind of the last point I wanted to make is, you know, like we said, on the teeter-totter between things, that ego a lot of times can really get in the way of imposter syndrome because we have in our head, like, I got to be the best. I I can't let anybody know that I don't know this. I can't let anybody see that I'm not good at this. Um, So we really puff up our chest and try to make ourselves look like more than we are. And again, that creates a lot of, you know, disillusionment and disappointment and depression and anxiety. I think, you know, honestly, one of the best ways to overcome all of that is just by being humble and getting curious. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, instead of feeling like an imposter, like I feel like being curious like a child makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, we don't shame children because they don't know how to read or they don't know, you know, how to do cursive or like they're, that's ridiculous and stupid. They just clearly haven't learned that yet. Three but seven. why do we put that, that same three pressure? What? something. Kids don't learn cursive anymore in school. I know they don't. I, yes. That's all. That's all. Continue. (laughs) (laughs) But I just think, you know, like that, that dialogue seems insane to us, right? Like we'd never shame a kid because they don't know how to, you know, speak Spanish, like growing, you know, if they're an English speaking child, like that seems so insane. Yet we do that internally to ourselves all the time of like, oh my gosh, why don't I know this? Why can't I do this? Why can't I? So I think instead of just being humble and saying, you know what, I don't know that and it's okay. I can learn that. And just getting really curious and looking around to say, who's really good at this around me and, and talk to them. Like, how did you get good at this? What should I know? What are some tips and tricks? I just think community is where it's at in life. That's we learn from each other. Um, seeking advice and others viewpoints. And I just think that's the most essential thing for growth and collaboration and relationship. 
I agree. When I go, I make it a point to when I go to like continuing education to learn advanced skills, I'm not there to prove what I know. You know, I'm not there to be like, oh, don't worry. Like I, I know how to lay a flat. I'm not, I tell every instructor, treat me like I don't know anything mm -hmm. because I'm here to learn how you do it because right. maybe you have a, a different technique or a different instrument that is going to help me. And that's been so beneficial of just like letting down that ego and allowing myself to absorb what other people have to say or learn or teach, but also taking the point of like, okay, am I going to let this in? You know, does this, does this information serve me or, mm -hmm. or can we just let this go because it's not really serving my purpose? Mm -hmm. And I think it's so, um, such a good point and something funny. I probably like in, when I was in dental school, I really started getting into my yoga practice. And I think that has been really helpful for me as well. And, um, I had a couple of teachers in South Florida, actually, Brittany, uh, that's where I did dental school. And they would, one thing that one teacher would always say is that, do you think a kid when they're learning to walk falls down once and says, all right, I'm done. That was, yeah. that was fun. Yeah. I gave it a go. Uh, I guess the walking thing's not for me. I'm going to be the forever crawler. Mm -hmm. No, they get up. They have no ego about it and they try again. Mm -hmm. And I think it's such a good perspective to like, uh, ask for help and tell people, treat me like a kid, treat me like I don't know anything and then being able to take in that knowledge. Yeah, that's, that is so, I think we can all learn from that mentality, like just letting your guard down, letting the ego down, taking whatever, you know, can serve you, implementing it, moving forward, and then leave the rest. You know, there's no need to judge it. There's no need to show up knowing everything, because that's the reason that we're there. You know, something that I was surprised at, you know, at, at the Bulletproof Summit is like, we had, you know, incredible, incredible people there and it's just so funny how people sometimes get in their own way because they're not willing to say, I don't know, you know, or I'm here to learn because if, if you're at a CE, like you are there to learn, but it was just so interesting to hear. Like I talked to a few people who were just like, you know, they would ask me a question and then I would give them my input and they were like, no, 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 but it's working fine. You know, like they clearly have a question, something clearly isn't working, but they're not internalizing other information or like willing or open to try something new. So I think that we can all learn from that. And that is the way to make things better, you know, is not, not having it be about like, I'm the best and I'm good and look at me and whatever. It's like really about like, okay, this is the outcome that I'm seeking. What's the work and what are the steps that I need to take to become better at this goal or, you know, reach that outcome. And then just like setting the ego aside while we're in that process. Well, and I, think that's, that's a, I think that's a perfect example of uh, imposter syndrome. So they're outwardly saying, oh, no, 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 like, I know everything mm -hmm. after they just asked the question is that they were like, okay, I'm going to be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. I'm going to ask the question that I need to know. And then they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Now she knows that I don't know anything, you yeah. know, but even yeah. though that's not the truth, they obviously yeah. know things, they have certain systems, things are working well in some aspect, but there's something not working mm -hmm. that they needed to ask a question. And then imposter syndrome is over there. Like, make sure they make sure the person you're talking to knows you know something, right? right? And right. that's just, I think this vicious cycle that hopefully this podcast will help a lot of people kind of overcome. I love it. I love it. And I just want to qualify, this is off topic actually right now, but I want to qualify something that I said earlier about schools. And I want to just, just mention that I have uh, absolute pride in the community college that I went to, I went to Palm Beach State College, so I'm representing and it was a great college. I was very prepared to start practicing. So I am absolutely thrilled that I went to that school and totally my own like qualifying thoughts about good and bad schools, you know, are totally like my own, 
ego and mentality and that sort of thing. But I just wanted to actually give a shout out to Palm Beach State because it was awesome. My community college. Beach State. <laughs> I love it. I am. Um, I do want to let you guys know before we hopped on this podcast, I put a poll on my Instagram, just saying, have you experienced imposter syndrome just to my followers? And I'm not going to share names, but there are Titans within this profession that are saying that they've experienced it. So I just want people to know that, that like most of you, most of the people statistically are saying, yes, they have experienced it or experienced it daily. And some people that you wouldn't think would are showing up saying, yep, that's me. So everyone, we all deal with it. Yes. Yes. Well, I love that. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And I mean, thank you so, so much for your time and your authenticity today. Like that's everything. Um, it's been such a pleasure and so refreshing. Um, and so for our listeners that want to know more about you and follow you, tell them where they can, can do that and about anything big you have coming up in the near future. Yeah, absolutely. So probably the easiest way to find me is on Instagram uh, at yogi underscore dentist. Like Brittany said, I am actually quite consistent on there. I respond to all DMs. Um, Most DMs, I love connecting with other people within this profession. It's one of my favorite things is just connections and the relationships that they build. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's wild, the relationships and opportunities that are presented from Instagram. And that's because of the relationships. I truly believe that. Um, and big things coming up. Let's see. Uh, for in terms of like where I'll be, I'll be teaching yoga at DIA uh, this year, the Dental Influencer Alliance. I've done it a couple years. That's in December. Um, and then it's in Atlanta, I think, this year. Ooh, actually. Oh, nice. <laughs> I might come visit you. Yes, please awesome. do. And other than that, I don't have anything super, super big, but always there's things arising. So just keep track with me on my Instagram. Um, I also have a website with a lot of good resources for dentists and hygienists and office managers and all the things. Um, So that's drjennyperna.com. And I recently um, started kind of posting my travel tips because a lot of people ask them. So I did that this morning. So if you're ever looking at a trip that I've taken, I'm trying to do better of like sharing those details. So those can be found on my website as well. I love it. Love it. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for listening today. And remember that we are all in this together. None of us have arrived and there's no better way to care for our patients and team than showing up as your authentic self. Um, keep working towards growth and development. You totally got this. And you know, if you need support and you need us to have your backs, uh, reach out to us through the Mighty Network app. Just join us on Bulletproof Hygiene. And we are here to chat and collaborate and just help you be your best self. So everybody have a great week and thanks for listening. Bye guys. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Bulletproof Hygiene Podcast. We hope you've had as much fun as we have. Don't forget to click subscribe for a lot more where this came from. We appreciate your support and promise to keep the hygiene gems coming. Keep track of upcoming Bulletproof Hygiene events by visiting bulletproofhygiene.com or download the Mighty Networks app and search Bulletproof Hygiene to stay connected. We want to hear from you.